HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Forever Cheese. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the intersection between food, agriculture, and competition. Learn how a chicken raising contest in the 1940s led to the poultry industry we have today. And they were going to run a contest and try and develop what they would call the chicken of tomorrow. We'll also venture into the world of agricultural video games, where a new set of tractors is making a lot of fans happy. The biggest addition to 19 was the John Deere's. That's what everyone was hyped for. And we pay a visit to a group of Indian restaurants that aren't on the friendliest of terms. Usually they wait for my restaurant, but after a long wait, they go to next door or downstairs. But this is how they do business. They completely copy whatever we do. Embrace your competitive spirit and be the first to listen to new Meet and 3 episodes by subscribing now. That's Meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. And my name is Sutter Teague. And welcome back, Damon Bolte. Hey, man. You've been away for several weeks. We're glad to have you back in the oh, studio. Thanks. <laughs> I don't think it really... Uh, Really necessarily requires the applause, y'all. Oh, come on, but, man. We've missed you terribly. Oh, well, I've missed you. Um, yeah, man. Been on the road. A um, lot of time in Nevada. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I was in Vegas doing the uh, guest bartender thing. With, yeah, that uh, looked uh, amazing. It was a lot of fun, man. Uh, the Park MGM. Got to see our buddy uh, Leo Robichek. Yeah. Because the Nomad Hotel is connected to that. So I had lunch there every day, uh, which was. We live like millionaires. I know, right? <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun catching up with him and uh, got a beautiful program. Great staff there, too. Uh, got to run into a lot of great people out there. Danny Neff. Got to run into uh, our friends. Miss you, Danny. Tanya and Jackson Stamper. Miss, uh, miss you guys, too. They're doing amazing stuff over there at the uh, Atomic, which is really cool. It's actually this old, amazing dive bar, but then they, uh, they bought the next door service garage and they have this restaurant there and it's all connected kind of like on the same lot but it's called atomic because they it used to be where people would go and drink and watch the atomic bomb tests what yeah back in the day crazy right yes 
This is before, like, Vegas are any was... of those people around? Can we get them in for an interview? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, let's let's try. Um, yeah, that was really fun. And then uh, last weekend, I was in uh, Tahoe and Reno for my brother's bachelor party. That's to right. Around. I've never been to Reno, man. There's uh, there's some fun shit going on there too. The big, what's it was called? The biggest little city. The biggest little city yeah, in America. In the world. Oh, the world. I think it's worldwide. Oh. It, it, the world, the whole world knows that. All right. But uh, yeah, man, had a lot of uh, old fashions and and played some, uh, you know, Kino. <laughs> <laughs> like old men. Yeah, it was good. Uh, and the rest of the time, just been in, out in California, man. Outstanding. Uh, running around. A lot running of around for Brooklyn Gin. Yep, doing spreading a lot of the vibes. Yep, totally, man. Um, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Like especially in the North Bay, there's a lot of really great bars. Um, new ones like uh, Whisper Sisters and Petaluma, which I've I think I've mentioned on the show before. You have, yeah. I'm excited great to go stuff. there. Yeah, um, just really cool stuff. Uh, and you know, like there's so much cool shit going on in the Bay, like North Bay and East Bay, that like I I rarely even make it into the city of San Francisco. Hmm. See, in my I, mind, I just picture you always in the city. No, man. I mean, like actually, uh, last week I was I was pleased to uh, to have our buddy. Uh, Tim Master in town. Hell yeah, Chartreuse. Yeah, so we uh, we met up at uh, Leo's Oyster Bar and had lunch and caught up and great dude. Uh, and you know, just kind of like running around doing his thing and uh, very quickly. I think he was in town for thirty six hours. So Whoa. I want to say thanks to him for uh, taking me out to lunch. He didn't really have much time to do anything, but uh, that was really nice of him. Yeah, man. What about you? What have you been up to? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> you, how me. many bars have you opened in the last three weeks? Uh, yeah, since you've been gone, I've uh, <laughs> I've nearly opened one more. Uh, we're still working steadily on uh, Honeybee, which is going to be in the former Cien Fuegos uh, uh, location on uh, 95 Avenue A upstairs. It's going to be American whiskey and American beer in a room that we're designing to look very much like a Texas saloon slash poker room. A lot of crushed red velvet and slow spinning fans that are all belted together and a lot of dark wood yeah. and red wallpaper it's it's really pretty just some some dude in the the corner with a cigar hanging in his mouth playing like honky-tonk piano well i mean we actually got a player piano that plays uh, modern music in the barrel house style so oh wait so is it like westworld you know frankly Does every like nirvana covers uh, every <laughs> single person that i say that to says that and i have to <laughs> sadly admit that i've never seen that show so i'm i'm trying to i don't have uh it's we'll on, have a tv it's on hbo or whatever but I, I need to go at least watch a couple episodes to understand what the hell everybody's talking oh, yeah. about it's it, <clears throat> but yeah think, think about like uh, but the answer is yes like westworld because everyone said it so it must be right yeah so like think about johnny cash when he did the american recordings mm-hmm. he did like a cover of like nine inch nails heart yeah it's yeah. like slow and like exactly kind of yeah yeah that's, that's kind of vibe. that's kind of what they do in westworld yeah so the piano is like has this barrel house style and it plays regular you know I, I don't know if it's digital it hasn't, arri- it hasn't arrived yet ravi ordered can it, we but. get whiskey and loose women <clears throat> oh hell yeah like, put it like because that's the theme theme song, song to the show, show yes yeah of course we will that would be perfect <laughs> so working on that uh i've been uh you know heavily promoting of course uh, uh bar methods which is coming up in august kind of a ways away but we want to we fill it up with good uh, students so you can go to uh, barmethods.com and apply for that. That's the the yearly intensive uh, clinic that we do on yeah. on like basic skills for bartenders. And uh, as an up and coming bartender, it's great for you. As a, someone who's a m- managing a program, it's great for you to come and learn how to teach your bartenders. It's also good to like brush up on old things. Like for I, sure, I took the uh, I finally like I don't know five six years ago finally like 
got legal with my motorcycle license. Mm. But I took the safety, the motorcycle safety school course, and, and I've been riding. A few things. I was well, I was riding dirty for twenty years with no license. Yeah. And I even owned a motorcycle shop at one point in my early twenties, and like, I, it, it, it was never an issue. But I, I would not suggest <laughs> riding not me dirty. Either. But the thing is, like, when I took the motorcycle safety course, I I learned some shit that I was doing wrong, man. Yeah. And just kind of like relearn some things I've kind of forgotten about that we I can really always learn. You, there's always more to learn. That's the thing. Yes. And we have, luckily, like in the city, there's a wealth of things. Like we get through the holiday season and you're like, all right, it's over. And then you realize like spring's coming up, summer's coming up. You got bar methods. You've got uh, Bar Combat Brooklyn, you know, Tales of the Cocktail right after that. We think it's a really good time to be in this industry. We've got so many things going on, so much education available. Yeah. It's all there. And opportunity constantly knocking at the door. Constantly learning. And plenty of books out there. Plenty of books out there. To read <laughs> and learn things from. Speaking uh, of plenty of books. Yeah. In the studio today, uh, former managing editor at Serious Eats, where you created, where she created the spinoff kind of Serious Eats drinks. Maggie Hoffman, currently a San Francisco-based food and drink writer. She also wrote the book One Bottle Cocktails. We had her on the show when that, mm-hmm. when that book came out. And uh, I have a recipe in there. Do you? I can't rem- remember. I don't no, think I made she's it. Shaking her head, no. <laughs> uh, currently, turning I can't be in every book. Bro. I know, I know you not can't. like you. I'm not in every book. I'm not in this one. See, it's a trade. I'm not in this one. Uh, currently, turning to promote her new book, Batch Cocktails, for Ten Speed Press. Uh, welcome to the studio again, Maggie Hoffman. Welcome back. Good nice see to you guys. see you. Also in the studio, a uh, special guest and friend to the show, uh, Kimmy Winkler, the East Coast brand ambassador for Nova Fogo Cachaça, yeah. uh, which is also featured in the book Batch Cocktails in a in a, in a drink by our dear friend Chaim Dowerman. Yeah. Chaim Dowerman of uh, Stay Gold, where hey, you had your up. book launch party just the other day. Yeah, I attended. Such it was fun. A great drink. We, you know, we went to the Up and Up for the first time and had that drink, and I kind of pulled him over for the table and was like. This I need this, um, and it's just one of my favorite, super refreshing, summery, tropical. Oh, the drinks on the menu at, at his other bar, Up and yeah, Up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Maybe both places, but definitely the Up and Up. Yeah, right on. Um, how are things going since we had you on about a year ago? They're great. Yeah, you... I got this new book. I got two. I got a book for each hand. I think that's that's good. <laughs> All right. Does that mean you're done? Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'd it's love to do more. I think books are really fun. It's an addiction. Uh, I don't think it's fun having done only one. I think it's uh, a lot of work, and then I think it, I think I forget about it. Like it's like having paint. a child that way. I was gonna kind of say that, but I didn't want to overstep my bounds, oh, yeah. knowing that you've had one and I haven't, and never will. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I feel like uh, um, I kind of forgot about the pain of doing it in that gap, that long gap, four months or so between finishing, turning in the last book, and then the yeah, book being released. Yeah, you had release. sore thumbs. I did. Well, also the pain of. Just that. Broke the whole book on his iPhone. That's right. Uh, the pain of just you know the daily grind of uh, and weekly grind of deadlines and and you know having to turn stuff in. Uh, but this book you wrote uh, in collaboration with a, just a crap ton of people. Some great folks gave some recipes and you know it was a little different from the first one. So the first book, the one bottle cocktail, is all drinks with a single spirit and no alcoholic modifier. So. That book has no vermouth, no bitters, and that isn't the way most bartenders work. And so only a handful of the drinks were like currently on menus, and it was a lot of people being like, well, I'm going to try this swaggy thing. And so I tested, I don't know, 450 recipes for that, 350. It was a crazy amount of recipe testing. Yeah, it's hard work. (laughs) There's a lot of dishes involved. It's a good Um, job if you can get it. But this book... Batch cocktails, um, it's organized by flavor profiles, so there are herbal drinks and fruity drinks and and 
both things that are sort of in a stirred style and things that are more punchy. Um, but it was a lot of people just saying like, this is my favorite drink I've ever made. I'm really proud of this. And the stuff people sent me was just so awesome. So it was more a matter of being like, well, I can only have like two watermelon drinks and they're both really delicious and really good for summer. And one of them's super easy and one of them's like a little more advanced, but then you had to draw the line. And so it was more about like being a gatekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. Some selective editing of, of, of the submissions. Yeah. Um, who do you who did you write this book for? Like, who's your target audience? Um, I think it's for consumers, really, um, because bartenders know about batching, and I think that's sort of been <clears throat> sorry. I think that's sort of been one of the major changes uh, that you know consumers now expect to have great drinks everywhere. Uh, and they expect to have them fast. And I think batching has sort of been one of the tools that Not has... a smart expectation, by the way. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, take a look at your environment when you walk into a bar and then make your expectation based on that. But I think, you know, a lot of programs that might not have been able to make craft cocktails um, without batching are able to because they're doing it. So I was sort of observing that. Um, but also people constantly come to me and say... I'm afraid to operate a cocktail shaker. I don't know how to open it. I always spill. Like consumers are just, like overwhelmed by yeah. that. And I think what I really want is for people to have friends over. And I want them to drink great drinks and spend time with each other. And I want them to be able to sit down with each other. And if you're a confident bartender, you can do that and make drinks for everybody one by one. Um, but if you're cooking also, it's really nice to have a bottle that you can pull out of your freezer and just pour. It's really elegant. And then sit down and drink with the friends that you invited over to spend yeah, time with. Totally. I mean, the, if we look at the last 150 years of cocktail books, books, not cocktail writing, but books, it's really amazing to see, like, I, I like that you touched on the, the point that you know, when the first cocktail books came out, it would it had very little information on how to actually make drinks, and also even less information on recipes. Like it would talk about proportions rather than actual measurements. You know, and then as we move, like even over the last ten years of cocktail books, it's interesting to see how it's changed from very like on premise cocktail recipe writing about like. You know, it's a quarter ounce of fernet and two ounces of gin, you know, shake and strain into a glass. Well, how do you shake? How do you strain? You know, like it didn't say anything about that. But Join then, us for like, bar methods in August. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But like the, it's it's been interesting to see even over the past, like, say, three to five years, how a lot of the writings become more consumer focused because... Like it's instinctive for us. It's hard. It's hard. Like as sure, a writer, think, as I, a bartender, writer. I think even the titles of the books back then said things like manual. Right. Those were for pros. Yeah. Right. I think now books are a little bit more driven towards the consumer, the home, the home, the homemaker. Well, that's why off-premise work is so important these days too, because like, you know, we are the like as as bartenders, brand ambassadors, we are the ones who like introduce a lot of most of the people to a certain spirit. You know, and then they go to their local liquor store and they buy it and then they take it home and they want to recreate that. But they've only got like a fraction of the equation down. So like whenever it comes to stuff like this, like batching a cocktail, it's important to have all the information, you know, and even batching cocktails is kind of crazy based on like the volume of it. That also changes the formula, too. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think. Did, did you find that when you were testing the recipes? Did you find that scaling a single cocktail up to 10 times, 20 times, it doesn't, the, the same is not, it's not the same? I think consumers especially forget that you need to taste. I don't know if the number itself is the issue. Uh, I do think that errors are easier to introduce along the way, unless you're weighing, you know, unless you're measuring by weight. I thought a lot about this because a lot of people said to me early on, like, well, aren't batch cocktails always sweet? And I think that's a few things. I think that's people going to events where the assumption is that it's lowest common denominator. People going to events where shortcuts are taken and they're using some kind of, you know, bottled citrus juice or whatever. Right. Um, I think people measure over their container. I think people forget about sort of the separation of things mm-hmm. and that that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I tasted them all, big format and small. Um and, you know, I think a lot of that stuff can make a big difference when you're measuring. If you're if it's a big measuring cup and you're like just a, you know, a hair over the line, that's, that's actually quite a bit of volume. Yeah, that could be like three, four ounces off of your whole measurement, yeah. right. which is dramatic, yeah. you know, um, especially when, you know, when we a lot of times, like especially when it comes to like tiki drinks or things with like a lot of bitters. I know, I know Southern doesn't know anything about that, um, but like when it comes to those kinds of drinks, like when we're you we're. we're we're using like a eighth of a teaspoon measuring spoon, you know, like when it's that minute and yeah. it's down to like drops and dashes of bitters and tinctures and stuff like that. It's like when you're batching, that's, it's significant, significantly different results yeah. when you yeah. over or under measure those right. things that make such a, a difference in such small amounts. I got really into the nerdy parts of this and the book is set up that the recipes are batches to follow and you don't have to do any math. Um, but as you get into explaining to people how to convert a single recipe to a batch, then you get into these really nerdy discussions about, well, how many dashes are in an ounce and, and what happens if you want to age a cocktail. And I think the majority of people are not going to do that, but I think it's super interesting. That's mm. like when you go to Smells an airport. Smells like a new book. <laughs> when you go to an airport and you buy, like when you purchase a, uh, like a whiskey neat or on the rocks, like. If you want a, an actual full pour, you have to order a double because they never fill the chick. Like it's, yeah, it's gross. Never like, to the meniscus. Yeah, it's, but it's way below that. It's like yeah. it's basically an ounce in the two ounce side of a jigger. You yeah. Know? So like that's it, another thing is like it's like pomp just, and circumstance. They're not using the tool correctly. They're just using the tool. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Like I don't know. There's it gets pretty crazy, especially when like I mean I, I feel like a lot of these batch cocktails involve citrus too, and like that's. I mean, you said, like you're saying, like at events, especially you're using like bottled citrus that probably shelf stabilized With to some a certain sweetener of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and that's not going to be the same as like using fresh juice. So, like, to me, that is going to be, that's going to throw the balance way off. And you'd mentioned tasting like along the process, you know, like that's, it's huge. Like, we never, we never send anything across the bar without dipping a straw in it and tasting it ourselves, you know? Right, so like, but I think consumers sometimes miss that or, you know, even thinking about like um, sparkling wine that mm-hmm. in a recipe you might call for Prosecco and like there's a vast world of Prosecco in sure. terms of sweetness and dryness. Of course. And um, so I do think people should taste it. But in this process, it really was interesting. And I know we talked along the way, Souther gave me some advice about, you know, um, if you do make stirred cocktails and you want to age them long term, 
what the best practices were. And I ended up buying a dorm fridge and doing some blind testing where I made each cocktail four different ways and sat on them for, I did like a week, two weeks, two months, three months, four months. We just opened some of them a year later. Um, and we were a little surprised actually. Yeah. What were some of your more surprising results? Well, I was pretty confident that you were going to be able to age cocktails with dilution and bitters. And in the blind test, they seem to kind of fall apart. I think lowering the proof to that extent meant that it wasn't that well preserved. And for about two weeks, they tasted really good and you couldn't tell the difference. And then the ones with water became kind of more oxidized Oxidized, and just less flavorful. And the ones that were stronger held up beautifully for a year, even ones with sherry, which was something that I wasn't sure how the acidity of the sherry would would last, um, but they were really beautiful. And I had been very hesitant to say keep the bitters out because I wanted to see how that changed over time. And then some people had told me, well, they bloom. I couldn't really wrap my head around that. I'm a naysayer to that. I think it's bullshit. But what I actually found was the opposite. In the blind test, our experience was that bitters that were aged for a long time in the batch actually tended to sort of mellow and dissipate a little. they fall apart. Yeah, so my preference is to, if you're going to make a stirred cocktail that you're going to sit on and maybe give somebody for Christmas or whatever, if you're going to do it now, would be full strength, no bitters, and before you give it to them, you can add the dilution or you can tell them to stir it on ice if they want to. You know, sometimes I'll split it up into multiple little jars if I want to drink one set one night and one set another night. Mm -hmm. I always do, when I'm... I do a lot of camping now that I uh, am out in California. Um, I always do mountain martinis. I do a 50-50 martini mm-hmm. <laughs> with like grapefruit bitters in there. I mean, I also don't sit on that batch for too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they go pretty quick when you're camping. You made it this morning, you went camping, and then you drink it tomorrow. there's a major difference, though. I mean, I'm assuming when you say the bitters in the batch, you're talking mostly about like Angostura bitters, like an aromatic bitters. Because like to me, something lighter like a like a grapefruit or an orange bitters actually holds up much better than an aromatic bitters. Like as far as like age goes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe that's, Cause it's, a, it's already a little bit more delicate anyway. Yeah. We're finding, you know, we do batch cocktails out of Mori Margo and we're finding that some of the things that especially Sharpie mustache. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're finding some of the things that especially involve, um, spicy bitters. Yeah. Um, we can reduce the amount that would be in a single cocktail by volume in a multiple cocktail. And it still steps forward. So we have a cocktail that, that has the capsaicin, Japanese, like yeah, I think so, right? The ex- Japanese chili and lime bitters that we use from 1821 down in Atlanta. Um, when we park that in a cocktail, uh, when you park it in the, when we put it in a cocktail. When you park it in a cocktail, when we put it there, you know. I don't know. I like that though. All right, well, you know, I, you know, I'm all about wheels, dude. Yeah, man. When we get that one in there, I use that single order. <laughs> we need a little bit more so that it has the same sort of spice strength. But when we make a liter bottle of it, that we probably aren't going to cut through uh, right away. You know, we only make three liters of anything at a time, um, but like, let's say it, it lasts until tomorrow. You know, it's the beginning of the shift tomorrow. It, it stands forward considerably, like not just a little. Like suddenly, you're like, "Oh, this is spicy." Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know if it's capsaicin reaction with the alcohol or what. Um, Maybe it just like breaks down the the oils or they yeah. it, like expands. I don't I don't either, but I've I've had the exact same experience. I'm no doctor. 
you're not. I'm not. Why have I been listening to you this entire time? <laughs> I got that. I got that trustable face. Um, we're gonna take a break and hear from our sponsors. We're gonna come right back and keep talking with uh, Maggie Hoffman about her book, Batch Cocktails. And you brought us a batch. We're gonna make one of your favorite cocktails from the book and have it right here in the studio. Kimmy Winkler also brought us a, bo- a beautiful bottle of a very special limited Novafogo release. Only 96 total bottles of this in the world. Oh shit! And we got bottle number. What was it? I think it's like 53. Bottle number 57. Seven. Uh, so we'll taste some Nova Fogo Cachaca later in the show as well. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. This episode is presented by Forever Cheese, a passion for great taste. Forever Cheese sources the highest quality and most unique cheeses and other products from Italy, Spain, Portugal, and Croatia, and imports them to the United States, many under the Mitika brand. If it's Mitika, it's got to be incredible. Learn more at forevercheese.com. Hey there, seems like you like podcasts. My name is Eli Sussman. I'm a chef and restaurant owner, and I've got a great podcast right here on Heritage Radio Network called The Line. On my show, I interview chefs and restaurateurs about the trajectory of their career. It's a one-on-one conversation where we talk about where it all started to where they are cooking now and everything in between. You can find The Line everywhere you get your podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. And we're back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And we've been... What are you doing? I'm making drinks. You batching? Yeah, buddy. Well, (laughs) the batch is done. I'm just icing. Ah, right. I I noticed you're using a uh, a plastic cup to uh, scoop ice into these. I forgot my ice scoop. Dude, well, that's the thing. Like, we were talking about on the break, actually, like, working a bunch of these events, which I I know you have. We actually worked together. uh, Kimmy, we uh, were at a... uh, an event at the town stages like a couple oh, yeah. months ago for uh, a really great organization that puts together like artists with uh, it's called Art Beyond the Glass and uh, and some of our Oklahomies yeah. were there bartending. Uh, uh, Oklahomies, awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. It was a uh, Oklahoma. Well, Kimmy's from Oklahoma, and uh, I know where Kimmy's from. We're, we had a little Oklahoma reunion, but uh, the thing is, like, whenever you work events like that, whenever a lot of times when we're like batching cocktails, there's always like. The things you forget, funnel to rebottle. Like always forget a funnel yeah, man. and always forget an ice scoop. Funnel, ice <laughs> scoop, and critically, I think towels. Towels mm-hmm. always. But we started putting this like master list together for Grand Army events, on like offsite events, and uh, one of the major things was beer for the chefs. Yeah, that's a smart one. You know, like, because, like, a lot of you ingratiate yourself to those guys and you're, like, hooked up. Well, you're already going to take them cocktails, but then you're, like, there's beer, too. These dudes just want a beer. Yeah. (laughs) At the end of the day. And then they're, like, hey, here's some of that steak. Here's some of that pork belly. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, here's all of it. Take it with you. And then that's fun because you can take it back whenever you're dropping all the stuff back off at your bar. Yep. The rest of the staff gets to, like, have, like. Gets to enjoy part of the thing you did. Pork tenderloin or whatever. (laughs) Anyway, Maggie, I just poured out of this batch bottle that you brought with with you two words. That's what it's called. That's right. Freshly made in my hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) 
Talk about it. What's in the two words? Um, well, it's a 50-50, and I love those. And there's sort of a bunch sprinkled throughout the book. The book has these little sections called Use It Up, where it gives ideas for using up the rest of a bottle. So I think a lot of people don't know, like, oh, if I have a bottle of Zuka, what am I going to do with it? Um, so there's a lot of these little notes. Um, but this one is a featured recipe with this beautiful photograph from Kelly Puleo. Um, and it's half and half uh, bonded apple brandy, 100 proof like Laird's and Zuka, and then it's bottled with dilution. Zuka, delicious rhubarbaro or rhubarb amaro. Uh, tastes a bit smoky and earthy. Yeah. Um, and that's it. No bitters, no nothing? Nothing. Yeah, it looks gorgeous in the glass. Uh, and thanks Cheers. for bringing it. Who, who, uh, who contributed this? Because many of the, many, uh, how many of the recipe, how many recipes are there and how many of them were contributed? She's looking at the book. I think it's I 65, <laughs> and I think something like 60 are from bartenders, um, pros who had, you know, something that they loved that they wanted to put in there. Which reminds me of the CIA. Yeah, very much so, but a little, right. little bit smokier. CIA, yeah. speaking of Tonya Guffey. Oh, yeah. Tonya Guffey created the CIA. Chinar and Apple Jack. Chinar and Apple Brandy. Yeah. Apple Brandy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very oh, yeah, smoky. Uh, and it's from Adam James Sarkis um, from the Phoenix Cocktail Club in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, home of the Phoenix Club and Harley Davidson. That's right. I bought my Harley Davidson. The only Harley Davidson I've ever purchased, I purchased at the Harley Davidson in Milwaukee. You would. That's so Southern. Yeah. I'll tell you this, though. Side note. I rode up there on the back of a buddy of mine's bike to pick up my bike. Immediately got on my bike. We were, I lived in Chicago at the time. We're headed back towards Chicago, and I'm like... I want to hyperbolously. I'll say I was two miles into the ride, and I was like, "I need a bigger bike." And they, <laughs> you got a sportster. You know they call that the Harley Davidson disease, right? As yeah. soon as you get one, you need a bigger one. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's why they make road kings and street glides. Exactly. Like yeah, yeah. It was the sports of the XL. We talk a lot about drinking and driving on the show. Uh, we talk about <laughs> drinking, and, and we talk about driving. driving. <laughs> we don't talk about drinking and driving. All right. <laughs> uh, how did you it's reach great. out to all these people that are in this book? You know, it's funny. It was easier this time around because I didn't email them. Bartenders don't use email. I certainly don't. No, I've said no it a million times. No a computer. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it was people I knew, um, people who were Facebook friends, people I'd written articles about. I do a lot of freelancing. Um, so some of it was that. And then some of it was their friends. Some of it was folks who had won contests and awards and were on lists of best bars and whatever magazine. Um, and I mostly actually wrote to them on Facebook and people would, and I'd be like, cool, we can email or talk on the phone or whatever. And they'd say, I'll just send you this recipe over Facebook. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Sliding into the DMS though. I will say modern times, buddy, modern times. (laughs) I think some people are moving off Facebook and that, that I certainly am moving that direction. I rarely check it anymore. Well, you're not in this book. I know. There you that's go. Exactly. Oh, that's why. burned. I know. <laughs> that's this why. It's, like, I've missed a lot of opportunities. <laughs> but I, you know, I, since I actually it happened when I moved to California, I just, I, I, I spend so much time on the road and like, like, and in the it, great outdoors, it, like, hiking, beautiful and life. Yeah. 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 Don't you feel free? It's like real free, life man. instead of virtual life. Well, you don't have the subway ride to check all the yeah. social media stuff. You sure. Know? That, that actually, it, it makes more sense. I mean, like I, I've been on uh, on social media more in the like last twenty four hours being here than I have in the last twenty four days out there. You know, that's an incredible statement, man. I need to get out of the city. <laughs> no, you don't. It's a beautiful city. Uh, New York is great. It's the best, in fact. But there's a big world out there, man. There is, and I need to go see more of it. 
Yeah. Well, I need to come visit you, frankly. And I can well, visit you both. Yeah, You're both exactly. in San Francisco. Well, that's the thing. I, I actually, before the show today, I just realized, like, I was like, oh, man, I haven't actually reached out to Maggie. And, like, I kind of forgot. I've, I've been, like, discovering more and more like, that I, I know more people in San Francisco, like, since I've moved out there, like, six, sure. seven months ago. And we were actually talking before the show about uh, some of our our favorite bars. Like it must be kind of like, I'm going to sidebar a little bit. Like you write these books, but you also write for the SF Chronicle, like do cocktail writing. With the, it, you go to a lot of bars in San Francisco, obviously. That's my job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's a tough Question job, time. but somebody's got to do it. Exactly. All right. What's your favorite dive? I don't want to ask cocktail questions. What's your favorite dive bar in San Francisco? Well, we were talking about the page earlier. I really do love a bar with carpet. Carpet on the There's floor. There's just something so ridiculous about that. I love the page. Um, I like. I think every neighborhood needs a great dive bar or a great neighborhood bar that maybe isn't a dive. Like, I love the Brazen Head, yeah. which is actually, like, a kind of fancy dive bar. I mean, it's not a cocktail bar. Um, they make martinis. They, when you order a drink, the guy who owns it has been there forever. He bought it from the previous owner. Um, and he'll say, like, whatever you order, he'll say, up or on the rocks, up or on the rocks. Like, sure, you order a Negroni, like, maybe that's a good question. But I was like, Martini. I was like, up and up or on the rocks. And I kind of stopped. But he was like, no judgment. Like, you know, whatever you're going to do. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the difference is, like, actually, and this is... It's kind of frustrating in New York when, for what I'm about to bring up, but like when you're in San Francisco, like, you know, a lot of the properties are rent controlled there. So you have the availability of old, like bodegas, they don't call them bodegas out there, but like old corner shops and old dive bars that aren't going anywhere because they basically, they either own the building or they paid like nothing in rent. So they don't get like bought out. The, the buildings don't get bought out from under them. And like for like huge developments, like what happens in New York City? Like I was talking with someone about the Mars Bar the other day. <laughs> like was, that place was disgusting, but you know what? That was a New York City staple. It was a necessary carbuncle on the ass of New York City. Like it, yeah, like it made it, it gave character. Yeah, exactly. And, and then now it's gone. But like that's you know. I think that's some because I, I love old bars. We all love old bars, right? And like being in San Francisco, it's like you get a lot of that. There's a lot of it's not the history's not like most of the time it's not as old as like a lot of stuff in New York City, but there's still a lot of history there. And it's you know if it didn't like burn in a fire or like fall into the ground in an earthquake, you know it's like still standing, probably still around, yeah, yeah. And, and so you do find a lot of places like. Yeah. Like the 500 Club and like the Page and stuff like that. And some of them used to be grocery saloons. So they were sort of like, it was selling food supposedly, but really that's where people got their whiskey and they're still standing. Yeah. It's a cool city. I tend to like veer off the path of the conversation a lot. But, uh, make the conversation. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it, anyway, we need to come visit you in San Francisco. We should do, like you need to come out anyway. We need to do, I do. some shows from out there. We should. That sounds great. Matt Matt will give us the remote equipment. We'll head right out there. Um, I, it's just yeah. my time is not my own, as you know. That's true. For now. For now. For now. Um, so 
Maggie, are you going to be doing any kind of touring for this book, or how does yeah, that work? Yeah, I kind of know how it works because I kind of did it, but how does it work for you? Well, we started <laughs> in San Francisco. We had a, a great party um, at Benjamin Cooper, which is a fabulous oh, yeah. bar. I love those guys. They are the best. Um, and we had a party. He's at- marrying Lady Gaga, right? Who's that? The, the whole room just like stopped, <laughs> looked over at Damon, like what? <laughs> Bradley Cooper. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> trying to be current, y'all. All right. You haven't seen The Star Is Born. You're uh, the only one. I'm the only one. <laughs> it's fun. All right, whatever. Uh, so we Moving started in San Francisco. <laughs> we came to New York. I had this great party at Heim's place, and um, stay gold. Next, I'm head. I'm going home for a couple days, and then I'm headed to. Uh, Portland on April 16th, and we're going to have a party at Deadshot, which is Adam Robinson's mm-hmm. place in Portland. Uh, and then we're going. Up, I'm going up to Seattle on the train, and we'll have a party at Liberty on April cool. 18th. I, I like the I, train ride between those two cities. I, I do, too. I've never been to one without going to the other, so the two cities are one city in my mind. When I try yeah. and remember what I did, I'm like, I can't remember which one I was in. But Deadshot, Adam Robinson, fun side note, last night I was the judge for the Brugal 1888 competition uh, called Nearly Neat. Uh, and a girl named Natasha, I'm going to forget her last name, I just did, uh, who works at Deadshot with Adam. She was the hands-down, clear, far-and-away winner. That's so cool. That's my hometown, so I'm really excited. Right. You had mentioned off the air that you're you're going to be, like, reconnecting with a bunch of, yeah. like, high school. It's going to be great. It's going to be a mix of, like, my parents and their friends and then, like, media folks <laughs> and my high school people and... It's a I great like how excuse. You say that sounds great and you're smiling and thinking about it. Meanwhile, I would be just like <laughs> about can't. to barf. Yeah. No <laughs> way. Man. I don't want to see any of those people you just listed. <laughs> <laughs> Not in this world. Like none of those people that I knew then know what I do now. I was back in Oklahoma a couple months ago. They all and, think uh, I'm a children's book writer. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, wait, what do you do now? Like, and you know, these are all people that went to my same church. <laughs> right. Like, right. Like, wait, I don't I don't really fully understand what's right, going on. Right, they do you as like rancher, motorcycle mechanic, and now you're like New York City bar owner, brand ambassador, like two different worlds, yeah, man. Just and really I almost became, different worlds. I almost became a preacher when I was a kid, you know, like <laughs> and so they're like You went to seminary? I was I was checking out seminary. Holy cow. You went to you and Sarah Morrissey. Yeah. Remember she's talked about that. She too. went to Oral Roberts <laughs> in Tulsa. <laughs> Can't <laughs> I've only been to Oral Roberts once, and I got really stoned, and then went to Kane's Ballroom to see Weezer, and it was uh, it was great. It was a religious experience. <laughs> Just depends on what. I was probably the most stoned ever. But what lens you're looking at it through? I think it was like 19 or 20, something like that. It was great. Anyway, um, <laughs> everybody asks me this about my book, and I never really have a solid answer. So I'm going to ask you to put you on the same hot spot that I'm always on. What's your favorite cocktail in the book, and why? Ooh, um, I like things that are bitter. So ding, I really, ding, really. So this like, one we're just having quite bitter, quite delicious. I like that one. Uh, there's another one that's based on Punta Mace that I just like. I have a weakness for that. Um, and it's from Jeremy Simpson, who's in LA, and he created it when he was working at Bestia. Um, he's really talented. Um, it's a Punta Mace drink called All She Wrote, and it has. A little bit of dry vermouth and maraschino and pamplemousse and peychaud's bitters, and it ages so well. So the first, that was the first drink that I put away for a couple months, mm-hmm. and then I was like, oh, this is exciting. And does the book talk about that? Does the book talk about your experimental aging? It was a lot of work considering it's like two paragraphs of like, this is how to do it. Um, and there is a list of all the ones that I have tested aging called Drinks That Keep. 
No, drinks that keep cool. Yeah, because yeah, I, I imagine that the, the home consumer wants to just batch this and have a party. Absolutely. They're mostly for your barbecue. They're not thinking, I want to batch this party. and have a party in two months. Totally. <laughs> totally. Like they're like, let's get it on. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, I think that Pumplemousse and Maraschino, like, Grapefruit and Maraschino, they're like Portland and Seattle to you, you know? Like, I, I typically, like, if I can't figure out how to use one in a cocktail, I add the other. It's yeah, like, hand in they, hand. They always go hand in hand. Yeah, it's beautiful, really silky, bitter, very, you know, it's, there's no strong spirit there. And yeah, I could drink that every night. Do you? Sort of. <laughs> we just pulled I mean, the gotta, last You got one. it keeping, so you're just tasting it every night and, and yeah. getting towards the end of your, your just tasting, long-term though. batch. I had yeah, to give yeah, up the fridge. It's all just tasting. I had to give up the fridge eventually. Having a fridge full of cocktails was not like the most efficient use of my kitchen. Yeah, I imagine San Francisco apartments, probably not much bigger than New York apartments. But they're, I bet they, ha- but I bet they have. They they're are there. Yeah. I bet they have better <laughs> views too. Yeah. yeah. They're all. It's all better. Um. So that brings up an interesting question. So you said you bought a dorm fridge, like. Yeah, like there's the a little, dorm little fridge dorm in my fridge. living room, <laughs> and it was full of cocktails, and now it's mostly full of beer. Yeah, that's so, okay. Summer. So that's what I was gonna say. Like my brother has like a small fridge that he just keeps. It's like full of Pliny the Elder. You know, it's like it always. It's just like reserved for like beer and like every once in a while I'll throw like some lemon chill bro I start making lemon cello with weed in it <laughs> called lemon chill bro um thank you but it's like it's reserved and that's a batch cocktail that should have been in this book by the way <laughs> next book book two uh batched and cbd cocktails or whatever batched and thc cocktails um especially coming from san francisco right yeah right um ground zero for that action so when you were because I know, like some other books that I've read, where I think like, Julie Reiner's uh, book, the uh, Craft Cocktail Party. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, that one's great. Like these, I like these like more like really coming from like more of like a culinary focus. Like as far as I, I would say, more of like a hosting focus. You know, like hosting parties, batching cocktails, picnic, camping, dinner party, special occasion kind of stuff. Like. Did, I mean, you must have had like a pretty sweet like test audience, right? Like mm-hmm. people were just like hitting you up, like when when are you uh, when are you doing yeah, the when's thing? When's your next dinner party? Yeah. yeah. What, what's your next potluck? What can I bring? Yeah, we have it's some like good uh, barbecues. Yeah. <laughs> totally, and I think Julie's book is so great, and Karen Newman also had a book mm-hmm. um, about uh, cocktails for a crowd, and both of those have a lot of classic drinks in them, and sort of walk you through like how to make a bigger version of something. So I really wanted to do something that was like cocktails you'd have right now in bars that are sort of the most modern flavor combinations. Um, so there's no classics in here at all. That's and a, what about the drinks? That's a way different creation. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. about the drinks in the, in the book that do involve juice? Is there secondary uh, uh, technique? Like when we get it out of the bottle, do we need to give it a shake to aerate it? Or does it just go right over ice? All of them just go over ice. What's the... Uh, I do like to shake them. Um, and, and in the recipes, it sort of walks you through, like, this is when you can do each part. Um, and definitely in the process of recipe testing, I sent a bunch of the recipes to friends who were not in the industry and found that they would be like, well, can I do the juice two days before and, and just not add it? And I was like, no, no, no. So um, I try to be really explicit about the timeline. Uh, and, yeah. At- I personally think you have several days, if not even weeks, yeah. Before anything tri- terrible happens, did you do any experimentation? Well, you mean yeah. batched on on alcohol with juice? Yeah, 
I don't love I mean, I, citrus I, late in the day that's been made that morning. This is coming yeah. from a guy who doesn't, doesn't have juice, juice in his yeah. bar. <laughs> However, I went to, Not to be trusted. I went to a Christmas party this year, the same Christmas party I go to every year with our friend, mutual friend Robert Simonson, and I brought some of my at this this year's Christmas party four year old brandy sour that includes juices, and I have enough to bring next year. It'll be five years old by then. But you didn't bring me any today. I, you can come by the bar. I have some at the bar. It's, in the, it's downstairs in the fridge. Only the guests bring drinks, okay? Yeah, that's, that's kind of true. Um, and, of course, it changed a ton. But when I first started making that, I was tasting it as it went. And there were definitely weeks where it was like, this is still pretty solidly. I, I, could, I could have just made it earlier today. You know? But we don't aerate this one. We just pour it over ice. It's got a very silky quality because that juice is sort of broken down. It's almost like those Lusa juices, you know, like the Lusa peach nectar yeah, yeah. has that really silky, rich mouth-feeling, te- mouth-feeling texture. The acidity drops out a little bit. But as you know, you and Kimmy both, when we do these huge events where we batch stuff with juice, we, I usually anyway, bring a stick blender where, you know, now I've got a, let's say a five-gallon bucket and I dunk the stick blender in there and give it a buzz to aerate it again because... Because when you make a juice drink, you're shaking and it's aerated. Right. So I'm looking for that aeration. Yeah. So some people did, um, like, if you have two pitchers pouring back and forth. Sure. Throwing. That's Um, And Big throw. uh, Sometimes a whisk. And sometimes a blender. Like, if you're (laughs) batching part of it, and you could throw that part in the blender and then pour that into your pitcher with the rest and serve it. Yeah. Yeah, I always recommend the beach uh, model 33s, which is like, which is what a lot of bars use now. You know, they got especially tiki bars. I think they literally have like six of them on the bar at the Polynesian. Yeah, but Eric Castro now has uh, at least four on his bar. They don't, they barely do any shaking anymore. It's a couple of cubes of pebble ice and clip it onto that Hamilton Beach for thirty seconds and dilution aeration. That ice melts into it. Aerate is done and temperature. And especially if you've got something like eggs in there, man, super frothy. Like, I don't know. So, do you, so, yeah, that's what you yeah, recommend in the book? Different, different bartenders chose different things for different drinks. Um, some of them are definitely silky. And I think the idea is very casual service in this situation. If you're having a barbecue um, and it's something's going to be in a pitcher for a while and everyone's just grilling, I think most bartenders weren't sure. weren't that concerned about that style of entertaining. Um, but some people said, you know, do it in a liter bottle with a cap on it and give it a shake. Um, but, yeah, sometimes a whisk and sometimes a toss. Toss. I guess you're tossing when it's that large. Yeah. You're throwing when it's a single cocktail. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Right. Upgraded. All right. What do, do you have a, a cocktail in this book that has cachaça in it? Well, this one from Heim is really a winner. Heim. Yeah. And it was called what was, uh, the, the name is funny, of course. The One Star Yelp Review. <laughs> of course, he did. Love Heim. He's so funny. And it's a beautiful drink. It's a vodka vodka and cachaça split base, and I love that. And it's got that, like, beautiful, funky, sort of tropical richness. Um, and it has a little Montenegro. Hell yeah, one of my favorites. And grapefruit and lemon and demerara. And it's just everyone loved it. On, on Monday night we had this party, and that was, I think they ran out of it first. It was just everyone was like, I need more of this. This is my perfect drink. Yeah, crushable. Yeah. With all those cool. kind of funky notes from the cachaça. Talk about cachaça, Kimmy. What's cachaça taste like for our listener? Oh, cachaça is definitely like uh, rum's Brazilian cousin. We're definitely not afraid of that comparison at all. The One Star Yelp review, I think, has been on the menu at Up and Up for like many years. A, oh, wow. A really I, long time, yeah. And it's. I must have never noticed it because I always just see the T Gold Flashkin. So that's what I get <laughs> when I go. Named after me. 
Well, I would probably pick that one too. But the one star Yelp review is awesome. It's been on the menu forever. It's delicious. It's amazing. Um, Nova Fogo is organic cachaca, which pairs really great. I think that he usually uses Reka, the vodka, with that uh, co- particular cocktail. I'm not surprised. I you it's you know what it's like grapefruit in Maraschino. It's like Portland, Seattle. Like you and Jen Marshall. I think. There we go. <laughs> Everything's can't have one without the other. Yeah, you know? peanut go- butter and jelly. <laughs> goes very well together. I did bring you guys a single barrel today if you guys want to try it. Absolutely. Yay. This is a really special one. So I know that Damon and Souther are collectors of interesting and unique spirits. Um, And since we uh, were talking about the One Star Yelp review today, this is a single barrel. Uh, It's a three-year-old, which is pretty old for us. It's actually really old for us. Um, And we have a heavy focus on sustainability and environmental issues. So we're aging um, strictly in bourbon barrels for this one. Um, This is barrel 85. Um, It's three years old. Uh, It definitely has, you guys don't have it yet, but it has like sort of a heavy um, sort of sage and like spice note on the nose. Um, Yeah, I'm getting it. I just opened the bottle. Wow. And um, the single barrels are really special, just like, you know, any single barrel. Um, they're all very unique. There are only 96 bottles of this one when we bottled it. So this is, we're drinking one now. And Bottle number 57, it says. That's right. And then who knows how many we've used for samples at different things. So this is a pretty rare barrel that I brought you guys today, or a bottle that I brought you guys today. You and are it's, awesome. it's a, like, essentially, it's a batched cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> or at least it's batched. Wow, there's a lot of wood extraction on this. Mm-hmm. Cool. Actually, this is the first time I've tried this one, too. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> so, We're doing it together. Yay. It's great. I, yeah, delicious. Definitely get that sort of herbal note, sagey quality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I am a big fan of cachaca because it's got a lot of, like, savory pieces in every expression uh, from your brand, Novofogo. Um like I always tell people at Amori Margo when I'm when I'm opening a bottle of the the just the regular Novo Fogo, I say uh, it smells like opening a jar of olives. It does. Like it's, it's got a really sort of briny, olivey, savory quality, and we we definitely chase that that aspect of it when we put it in cocktails. Yeah. It ha- definitely has a very sa- savory note to it. A lot of people compare it to like you know eating an oyster or something like that. That briny saltiness, sure. which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy to be sharing this with you guys today because it's, it's rare that I get to open a single barrel. <laughs> well, right, with only with only ninety something bottles, I assume you give them all away and you never get to try them at all. Uh, well, I'm giving one to you today. <laughs> yeah, but we're friendly. We try it with you on the radio, so people can hear us try it with you. I need a bottle of this at my bar. I mean, it's an oyster bar, so this makes so mm. much sense. I need. Multiple bottles. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I feel like I've had a few daiquiris at Grand Army before with Nova Fogo. So yeah, I, it, and then you end up leaving your stuff at my. <laughs> did you get your stuff back? I actually didn't get it back yet, and I thought about that today. So I did um, have a lovely night at Grand Army a couple weeks ago, where I left a shopping bag at the bar, where I sent a. Um, like a frantic text to Damon, like, can you text your staff to see if they have it? Oh, you left behind the, I know what this was, the Claran, right? Oh, no, that was. <laughs> That's a different story. That's a different time. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Natalie got... lost her beret over there some years ago. <laughs> well, the staff actually does have my shopping bag. I just forgot about it once 
they told me that they did have it. So oh, I'll, so I'll go back and get it. We're just your storage space. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. I'll, I will bring it to you. I'll find it. Well, uh, thanks so much to both of you for joining us in the studio today. Really fun to have you. Just surprise guest, Kimmy Winkler, with some Nova Fogo Cachaça. Um, always a pleasure to have you back, Maggie. Um, tell us where we can reach you or find your book. Um, I'm at Maggie J. Hoffman everywhere, Instagram. I love when people get the book. You can get it wherever, your local independent bookstore, Amazon, whatever. Uh, and send me pictures of what you make. Yeah, send pictures. Yeah. And I, I notice you repost people's pictures all yeah. the time on your Instagram, so that's cool. I love that. Yeah, I do too. It's uh, 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 it's great when people do that for my book. Um, and it's, it, I think it promotes the book and it promotes a good time for all. It's like sharing. Yeah, I, I that's that's what we're here for, man. That's all we're sharing here for. the information, sharing drinks. I mean, batching it up, you know. That's all we're That's here all for, man. Sharing. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, life's not a bead; it's a complete necklace. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I threw that out there. All right. Well, yeah. The woman who won the competition last night, she said that in her uh, in her presentation, and it stuck with me. I Life, like that. Life's not a bead; it's a complete necklace. Interesting. All right. I'm going to ponder that a little bit. All right. Um, hey, so there, what do you got coming up, man? Uh, for the show or for me? For you and the show. Um, man, a whole bunch of junk. I'm going down to Annapolis this weekend. A bunch, uh, bunch of junk and stuff. I'm going down to Annapolis to promote uh, my book. I'm just here for the drinks. It's uh, um, this big book convention that happens down there uh, every year. A big uh, book convention? like So it has to be like a giant... Giant you know, books or just like it's a convention? Yes, all the books have to be big. very large. Okay. Large format books. Like kids' books. <laughs> yes, like the ones I write in my spare time. <laughs> um, upcoming guests include, but aren't limited to, uh, you know, we're going to do uh, um, a show with a uh, um, father-daughter team, first time ever. Uh, Rose, Rob, and Robin oh, Robinson, yeah. right? So Rose Robinson and Robin Robinson are going to be on the show yeah. uh, talking about the fact that they're both in, in the business as brand reps and, and advocates and... Uh, and maybe the generational differences there. We don't know what, what we're going to talk about. Austin Hartman, owner of Paradise Lounge, is coming up. Yeah, I love uh, that guy. We got uh, our good friend Josh Perez is going to come on and talk to us about rum. Uh, we got Trevor Easter, upcoming episode. Justin Noel, um, Brian Miller has finally nailed down a date with us, so he'll come and talk about the Polynesian. Uh, Sherry Nerd, Steve Olson is going to come on. Uh, it's going to be a hell of a hell of a couple of couple of episodes coming yeah. up. So Brian's been busy, man. Brian's been he has. Busy. I don't fault him for that at all. I but you know, he's been on the show probably more times than anyone. Sure, he's the. Uh, he's in the five. He's in the five, five jacket number. club. Are we gonna get him a jacket. Are we gonna start yeah. doing that for people like they do on Saturday Night Live. Steve Schneider hasn't been on the show in a while, but he's been on like probably five times. But he also used to studio bomb us. Right, just roll by <laughs> and hit it. Um, Which anyone's, uh, you know. Welcome and encouraged to do. Yeah, all the time. Uh, well, that that wraps up this episode of the Speakeasy. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, y'all. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate to this show and many others to keep us rocking and rolling and giving you the information, sharing the information that we like to share. Till next week. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Want more of the Speakeasy? Follow us and ask questions on Instagram at Speakeasy Podcast or on Twitter at Speakeasy Radio. You can find Damon at Damon Bolte, and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform and give us a star rating, five if possible. 
If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.